Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning, and uh, as Abby said, if you're new, I am Doug, and I am the East Campus Pastor, and, and uh, if you're brand new, I would love to meet you, get to know you, and we have a, a connection table where we have a gift for you, but as I thought about, as we're sitting there singing, I thought about sometimes in my own heart that sometimes we come in and we sing, and my heart's just not ready. You ever, you ever felt that before? So I'm going to ask you this morning, you have to say, say answer out loud, but are you really ready for God's Word? Are you ready for our Heavenly Father, through His Spirit, to speak to us this morning through the power of the Word that He breathed into us? Are you ready for that this morning? Yes. Well, if we're not ready, we're going to go ahead and pray one more time and ask God to prepare our hearts. God, I, I know that many people come today with different things that they dealt with this week. And God, even as I said over there, you began to convict my own heart that, that sometimes we come into this place and this awesome opportunity, as Abby talked about, just celebrating the blood, the blood that has set us free, the blood that has set us free from the power and the bondage of sin. And God, yet sometimes we take that for granted, yet sometimes we just don't quite are not ready to hear from you. God, I pray that right now that you would help us lay down whatever's blocking us this morning, whatever's, whatever's in front of us that's keeping us from engaging you in your word, whatever's happened this last week or whatever is weighing heavy on our heart this morning, may we lay it aside and may we meet with you. God, we need you today. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. And everybody said what? Amen. Amen. You know, the last several weeks we've been talking about this idea of being all in. And we've, we've looked at different stories. We looked at different individual storylines where Jesus encountered people on a personal level. Then we saw the story of John the Baptist. And, and the whole purpose of, of those stories that John tells us is to really kind of this idea of like, here's what it means to be all in. If you're going to be all in for Christ, here's some things that you need to know. And so last week we wrapped that up by talking about what are the hurdles that keep us from being all in. Now, what's interesting is that when we wrap that up last week, the storyline doesn't stop. Even though the story, the series ended, the storyline does not end, and we're going to see it continue today. And so really over the next several weeks, we're going to see the story continue. But really the, the narrative moves away from the idea of all in, and it moves into the idea of embracing Jesus. So we're going to get away from these one-on-one -on -one stories, and we're going to see John tell us some stories that are of larger magnitude, of larger groups that are around. And the whole premise that Paul, I mean, that, that John is going to give us over the next several weeks is this idea of embracing Jesus. Now listen to me. Not just knowing about Jesus, but embracing him. And what we're going to see today is that John is going to paint this picture that we are to embrace Jesus as God. Now, we know going back to John chapter 1 that John starts the gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the beginning was the Word. And the whole premise that John starts his gospel with is this, is that in the beginning, Jesus has always existed, and that He is equal with God. He is God. And today, we're going to see him continue that narrative. Now, what's interesting about the passage we're going to be in today, it's right on the heels of the passage from last week. And so last week, if you remember, Jesus healed this guy at the pool of Bethesda. 
And the Jews were not mad at him for healing the guy at the pool of Bethesda. They were mad at him because he healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, which was a no-no. It was a, a day that they had set aside and probably took it to the extreme. And they said, you don't do that. And so they were upset with Jesus. In fact, verse 18, listen to this. This is, this is telling of them. It says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So you've got Jews that are angry with Jesus, and Jesus there, he just healed a guy, and they're all upset. Now, just, just think for a moment. If you were Jesus in that moment, is it possible you would just know that you've ruffled everybody's feathers, and maybe we're going to tone it down a little bit? Jesus doesn't do that. How many of you drivers in the room, when you're lost, you just go faster? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, when you get lost, you just go faster because you think you'll get found faster. Well, that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't let off the gas pedal here. What we're going to see today is that Jesus puts it full throttle. In fact, he, if these Jews are upset with him, wait till he's done with what he's going to say today. In fact, there's two things I want you to notice today. Two major themes in this passage that I want you to get. And here's the first major theme. Jesus makes some claims that they need to hear, that Jesus, the claims that Jesus makes, and there's really two claims he's going to make. And here's the first claim. He's going to claim that there's unity between he and the Father, that there's unity. Look with me in verse 19 of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son cannot do anything of his own accord. But only what he sees his father doing, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will you show him, so that he, so I'm sorry, so that you may marvel. Now, here's what Jesus says. He says, there is unity between the Father and I. So these Jews that are upset with Jesus, he puts the gas pedal down a little bit more. They're upset that he is healed on the Sabbath. What were you doing? What were you thinking? Only God does that kind of stuff, and you've desecrated the day that was set aside. Well, Jesus doesn't back off. He just pushes the gas pedal down and says, listen, let me tell you something. You're upset with me. And you're not only upset with me because I've healed on the Sabbath. You're upset with me because I claim our Heavenly Father as my own. Which it says in verse 18 that that would make himself equal to God. And you're upset that I'm claiming to be equal with God. Well, rather than backing down, let me just tell you this. The Father and I are one. There is unity between your Heavenly Father and myself. In other words, we operate in rhythm together. There is harmony between me, Jesus is saying, between me and your heavenly Father. Everything I do is parallel to your heavenly Father. Now, if you thought the Jews were mad before, how mad do you think they are now? Because now they're, they're, they're mad because, yes, he healed on the Sabbath, but he claimed to be equal with God. Well, Jesus now just validating that. He's like, yes, I am equal with God. The Father and I are in harmony. We are in rhythm together. And everything I do parallels everything he does. And really, you see this all the way through the Gospels. You see it in a lot of different places. When Jesus talks about doing the will of his Father... You see in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is there and he says, if this cup can pass before me, but if not, not my will, but what? 
your will be done. You see this sense of Jesus himself making sure that he and the Father are walking in rhythm and in step together. And listen, church, as a result of their unity, as a result of their harmony, Jesus perfectly knew the will of the Father. Perfectly knew it. And because he perfectly knew the will of the Father, he said, listen, I'm going to make it a little bit worse. I'm going to do some things that you're going to marvel at. You know what that word marvel means? It means to be astounded with. I'm going to do some things that are going to blow your brain. Now, why are they going to blow your brain? Because the things that I'm going to do, only God can do. And if I do them, what does that say about me? I'm God. So I bet I would love to have been there. I bet the blood pressure of those Jewish people just began to elevate through their face. I bet they got red from the neck all the way up to their eyeballs. Because now you are not only only accusing you of something, you're saying it is true. That you are equal with God. That you and the Father are one. And that you're going to do things that only God can do that's going to astound us. Yes. Just watch. Now, Jesus claims out of the gate... That there's unity between he and the Father. But there's a second claim he makes here, and it's that the Father, that the authority he has, his authority is from the Father. That everything he does, the authority with which he does everything, comes from the Father. And the first thing the Father has given him authority to do is to give life. Look with me in verse 21. He says this in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead, now can we pause there? Can we agree only God can raise the dead? Can we agree on that? Only God raises the dead. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. He says, listen, knowing the Father and I united, knowing there's unity between the Father and I, everything I do, all the authority with which I teach with, speak with, and do miracles with, it comes from the Father. And one of the things the Father has given me the authority to do is to give life. And did you pick up on what he said? As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so does the Son of Man. So do I have the ability to give life. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, just as the Father has the authority over the physical things of this world, like resurrection, and just as the Father has the authority over eternal life and spiritual things like that, so do I. Now, if you're a Jew, you're, you're, you're spitting mad whether you're saying this out right, right now. You're so mad, you're beside yourself because he's just claimed, known to be equal with God, but that he too can raise the dead. Well, stick around to John chapter 11 because he does it, right? With Lazarus. And so he's making these claims, these unity with the Father, but also that everything he does, the authority with which he does things, comes from the Father, authority to give life. Now, why would he point this out? Now, listen, church. Why would he point this out? Because he wanted them to embrace this truth. I am the giver of life. Why? Because I am the source of life. Now, that is a profound truth. He can give life. Why? Because he is the source of life. And we're going to see him come back to that in just a moment. So he gives life. And then the other thing he says he has authority to do is to judge. Look at me in verse 22. He says this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to his Son. Now, why has the Father given the Son the ability and the responsibility to judge everyone? Why? 
Remember, because they're in perfect what? Unity. So the will of the Father, I mean, because Jesus was so close with the Father, because they worked in rhythm, he completely knew the Father's will. So the Father doesn't need to judge because the Son is going to judge because he perfectly knows the will of the Father. Now here's what's interesting. This is not necessarily what Jesus came to do the first time. He did not come to be the judge. He came to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. But when he comes again, how is he going to come? Not seeking to save that which is lost. He's going to come as a judge. And early in his ministry, he's establishing that he is the judge. So God has given him, the Father has given him authority to, to give life. He's given him authority to judge. But he's also given him authority to be honored. Look at me in verse 23. He says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Who does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. Here's what Jesus says. I have been given authority by my heavenly Father to give life because I am the source of life. To judge because we're in perfect unity. But also that I deserve the same honor that he deserves. Have you ever heard the expression, the straw that broke the camel's back? This is it. What is Jesus saying? The same adoration, the same praise, the same worthiness that you declare to the heavenly father, I deserve it too. Where we are equal in nature, we should be equal in honor. Jesus says, listen, just as you honor the Father, I too should be honored. And he goes on to say, if you don't honor the Son, it's as if you rejected the Father. But if you honor the Son like the Father and you believe in him and received him, you will miss judgment, but have passed from death to life. Now, here's the question I want you to think about just for a moment. What is the point of what Jesus is getting at here? He's just come off the hills of healing a guy at the pool of Bethesda. He did it on the Sabbath, but the Jews are upset with him. Yes, because he healed on the Sabbath, but because also you are claiming to be equal with God. Well, Jesus pushes the gas pedal down, and he wants them to know, clear and true, yes, I am. And so he talks about the unity he has with the Father. And he talks about the authority that the Father has given him. What Jesus is trying to do is he wants them to embrace that I am am God. Now, it's easy to look at the New Testament and to look at different people like these Jewish people and go, how in the world would they not believe? But I think we ought to think it this way. If you were them in this time, would this have blown your mind too? Come on, would this have blown your mind? Would you have struggled as well? Sure you would have. But these guys, Jesus is right in front of him, and he's declaring that every suspicion you have of me about being God, and me thinking that I'm equal with God, you're right. I have perfect unity with the Father. I have perfect authority that has been given by the Father, and I want you to embrace it. There's a second thing I want you to notice in this passage, 
And so it's really based on that, based on the fact that he absolutely lays out the claims he makes to point us to the fact that he is God. Then he lays out the truth that Jesus shares because he is God. So the claims are pointing us to the fact that he is God, but now he's going to share truths with these different Jewish people because he is God. And so there's four truths he shares, and here's the first one. And it's maybe one you've never heard of before, but I want to explain it to you. And it's this. It's that our salvation has a now and not yet reality. Our salvation has a now and not yet reality. Listen to verse 25. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, that's not now, that's not, not yet, and is now here, that's the now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those will hear will live. Now the word dead there, he's not talking about people that are in the grave. He's talking about those that are spiritually dead. Those who don't believe in him, and they are spiritually dead, and they're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. And here's what Jesus says. There is now a time, and there's coming a time, that those who hear the voice of the Son of God are going to hear it, they're going to believe, and they're going to have eternal life. They are going to live. Now, that is not uncommon because that's our story, isn't it? Come on, isn't that your story? There was a moment in your life you heard the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit worked in your heart, and you put your faith in Christ, and now you have eternal life, and your salvation is secure, and you're going to spend forever with him in heaven. Amen? Is that your story? That's your story. So that's not unusual what he said, but what he did say was this. There's a time coming and a time that is now. Now, what's he talking about? He says, for those that hear the gospel and believe, they will be saved. They will live. Their salvation is now. So when you said yes to Jesus, I was nine years old at vacation Bible school and walked an aisle on a Thursday and they explained to me the gospel and I said yes to Jesus. At that moment, my sins were forgiven and I was saved. My name was written in the last book of life and I'm going to spend forever with him in heaven. And some of you have a similar story to that. The moment you surrendered your life to Christ, you were saved. Salvation is secure. You're going to spend forever with him in heaven. But there's a salvation that's coming too. Here's what I mean. One day, if Jesus comes or we leave this world, when we see Jesus face to face, we will, the Bible says, when we see him, we shall be what? Like him. What does that mean? That means we will be made whole, complete, Disease-free, pain-free, and perfect. And so Jesus is telling these Jews, listen, today, if those that believe in me, those who put their faith in me, their salvation is today. But there's a salvation coming too. A salvation that when you are taken from this mortal body, this broken vessel, and you are made complete, you are made whole, and you are made like me. Perfect. I don't know about you, but when I turned 50... I got places that hurt that I didn't even know existed before. I mean, when I can bend over to tie my shoe and my back goes out, that's a problem. Are you with me on that one? Or if I turn to get my toothbrush and my back goes out, that's a problem. I look forward to the day when I see my Savior first and foremost, and I, and I see him face to face, and I know I get to spend eternity with him forever, but then I look forward to that moment that he heals my broken, decayed, overweight body and says, you are now whole, complete, and perfect. Does anybody else look forward to that day? Man, I hope you do. 
See, for the believer, listen, for the believer, this truth is great news. And Jesus just lays it out there. Hey, listen, you've accused me as being equal to the Father. I am. We have perfect unity. All authority comes from him. But here's some truths you need to know. That for those of you that hear, believe, you will be saved. You are saved at that moment. But there's a, even another salvation that's coming where you're going to be made whole and complete. And so he's challenging and encouraging those that are in the crowd, not just the Jews there, but those that are believers, those that have bought into him. But then Jesus shifts it a little bit next with the second truth. He shifts to those that don't know him. And look, here's the second truth. He wants them to know that eternal life only comes through him. Look at me in verse 26. For as the Father, his life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. In other words, who is the giver of eternal life? Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the giver of life because guess what? I am the source of life. Now, why is that important? Because he wants the Jewish people listening, there's no other path to be saved. Now, what path did they believe? They believed you had to perform good works, right? They believed that you had to go to temple. You had to make sacrifices. You had to do all the, the law, Judaism. You had to do all the law, and you had to perform and perform and perform. And somehow, if your performance, you did the best you could, somehow, if the scales of what you did was good, trumped what you did as bad, you will get to be in heaven. And Jesus says, wrong answer. Now, why would they need to hear that? Because some of these Jews, like some of us, have spent their entire life believing a lie. Spent their entire life believing they had to perform to be accepted by God. To perform to be saved by God. And Jesus says, no, eternal life only comes through me. And I want you to hear me this morning, church. There's some of us in the room that maybe you still buy into that lie. Maybe you still buy into that notion that, yes, I need to believe in Jesus. But more important, I've got to obey. I've got to do. I've got to perform. And I'm telling you, if you believe that this morning, you are dead wrong. Jesus said it best in John 14. And we'll get there sometime next year. For I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one. You know what no one means in the Greek? Come on, students. It means no one. No one, nobody, no thing. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus telling those Jews that are skeptical out there, listen, for all the believers, I mean, I got some great news from you. No, you saved now, but there's a salvation coming. Woo, it's going to be awesome. But for those of you that are skeptical, I want you to know, eternal life only comes through me. And then he gives a third promise here, a third truth. And that's this, that he, Jesus, is the judge of mankind. We saw that a while ago, but we see it again in verse 27. And he has given him, talking about the Father, has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus is the judge of mankind. Think about that for a moment. If sin has come into the world and God is just, there has to be justice, right? Are you with me on that, church? If sin has come into the world and God is just, which he is, there has to be justice. Sin must be 
paid for. And the only one qualified to judge sin is the one who paid for our sin, and that is Jesus. In fact, Paul says it even more eloquently in Romans chapter 3 when he says that there came a moment in time where he became, Jesus became the one who was just, but also the justifier. The one who said payment for sin has to happen, and oh, by the way, I'm going to make the payment for you. And he says, I want you to know, for those of you who are skeptical, eternal life only comes through me. And if you, if you kind of waver, if you're kind of unsure, if you kind of want to let your life kind of flow out, and you're thinking, maybe later in life I'll come to this, maybe later in life I'll believe this, I just want you to know, I'm also going to be your judge. Not only do I give life, but I'm also the judge in the end. And then there's one more truth he lays out that is one of these truths that we need to think deeply about, and it's this. And the last truth, the fourth one is this. All of humanity will be held accountable. Look at verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear this voice and will come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of judgment. Here's what Jesus says. There's going to come a moment where everybody, those who've died before you, including you, everybody's going to be held accountable. And those who've done good, that word good there just means those who put their faith in me, those who have believed in me are going to receive eternal life. And those who don't are going to receive what? Eternal judgment in a place called hell. He says, listen, all of you are going to be held accountable. I remember, and I may have shared this a little bit, I remember when I was probably, I don't know, maybe uh, 15 years ago, so I moved, I guess in 2005, I moved back to my hometown, and uh, I was a youth pastor at my church that I grew up in, and my dad was still living at the time, and my dad was, uh, uh, he was a railroader, and that's probably enough said for that, and so they're kind of synonymous with sailors, I guess you would say, and so my dad, I love my dad, he was a great, great man, but he, he, he really didn't think too highly of the church or people in the church, and, and he always would say stuff like this, that man, the church is filled with hypocrites, and I would always say, yes, we all are hypocrites, but my dad couldn't hurdle that. And so I would play golf with my dad every Friday afternoon. And, and the pastor of the church, we'd all play golf. And the one thing that we'd always tell my dad, because he was a question asker. He always asked a lot of questions. And the thing we kept telling him at different times was this. Hey, despite how you feel, here's what you got to know. One day, Jim was his name. Jim, you're going to stand before God. And you're not going to give an account for anybody else's life. You're going to give an account for your life. And what did you do with Jesus? And in that moment, this comment and this excuse that everybody's hypocrites, it's not going to work. Because you're not accountable to anybody else's hypocrisy. You're accountable to your heart and your actions. After about two years of playing golf with my dad every Friday, you would think, because my dad was a pretty tough guy, that he might decide, hey, we're not going to play golf on Fridays anymore because I'm tired of those conversations. He wasn't tired. He kept asking questions. And it was not long after that, about two years into it, that my dad finally gave his life to Jesus. And I had the privilege of baptizing my dad, which was one of the greatest moments of my life. But I say that for this reason. Some of you here today, some of you in the room today, you're thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I'm going to do what I want to do. And whatever is in the end, whatever may be, may be. I'm just here to tell you. My dad, rough, rugged, tough, tough, foul mouth and then Jesus saved him guy. 
realized that one day he was going to stand before King Jesus and he was going to be held accountable. And I want to say this to everybody in the room. All of us are under the same truth. Every single one of us in this room will stand before King Jesus and we will give an account for our life. We will give an account for what did we do with Jesus. You remember when Jesus asked Peter, who does the people say that I am? And then he turned and goes, but who do you say that I am? That's coming. That's coming for all of us. When we stand before King Jesus, we're going to have to answer the question, who, John, do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Savior of the world or just another man? So when you look at this passage, what you see is Jesus challenging the Jews, challenging the believers, and challenging us. Challenge them and challenging us to, first of all, embrace that he is his claims. Embrace that he is one with the Father. Embrace the fact that his authority comes from the Father, but also embrace the truth. And here's the truth. Salvation only comes through him. And also embrace this truth, that one day we will all stand accountable. And so I want to ask you this morning, and I know we talk about this a lot, and I ask from time to time, but I want you to think deeply this morning. For everybody across the room, do you know for sure that if you were to slip from this life to the next, that when you stand before Jesus, he's going to say, welcome done, welcome, welcome home, well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you know he's going to say that to you? Now, I'm not trying to create doubt in anybody's heart, but what I'm asking is, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because listen, we live in a world where people think there's multiple ways to get to God, and there's one. It's through Jesus. And do you know today that you have that relationship? Do you know that if you stood before him that I'm going to receive eternal glory, or am I going to experience eternal punishment? Here's the best news I can give you if you don't know the answer to that question. Today, you can leave here knowing the answer. Today, all you would need to simply do in your, in your own way, with your own words, in your heart, say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you are the only way for me to have eternal life. And I ask you to forgive me my sins. And I invite you to be the boss and the master of my life. And if you will pray that, if you will ask that in your words and in your way, he will come in and he will save you. He will change you. And you can leave here this morning knowing that if you stand before Jesus today, if, you, if life stopped for you and you stood before him, that you could enter into glory with him, not through eternal punishment. Now listen to me this morning. Everybody look this way. This morning at 845, prayer time under the overhang here by the kids' ministry, Story after story after story of people who've lost somebody in the, like the last two days. Someone was in a motorcycle accident. We don't know if they're dead or alive. And so there was prayer for that. Someone lost a, an aunt that just, that just was in hospice care and they just slipped into eternity. Someone else lost a stepmother without any, without any uh, you know, there was nothing on the table that said that this was coming. It was unexpected and they just died. I'm just telling you, death is out there. And we are not guaranteed our next breath, our next day, or our next moment. And you need to know right now, am I going to heaven when I die? Do I really know? that I'm going. And if you don't, would you nail it down today? Oh, well, Doug, but people already think I'm a Christian. Come on, are you really, really willing to bet your eternity 
what other people are going to think? Nail it down. And if you say, Doug, I know I'm not going to heaven when I die, would you accept him today? And then for the believers, as we look at this passage, I have a question for you. Are we living daily to embrace the claims and truths that Jesus talked about? Are we living daily to embrace those? Because if we are living daily to embrace the fact that he is one with the Father, that he has all authority, and that we have a future salvation that awaits us, if we're really embracing that every day, shouldn't that change how we live? Shouldn't it make us trust him a lot more than we already are with the mess that's going on in our lives? Shouldn't we be trusting him with that? Shouldn't we live with passion and purpose and resolve and just urgency about us? Yes. Shouldn't we live in a way that says that he is the authority in my life and I'm going to submit myself to his authority and live according to his way and his word, not my way and not my word? I'm just telling you, if we as believers embrace this, it should change how much we trust him. It should change how passionately we live for him, and it should change how much we yield and submit to his way and his authority. And I know about you, but me sometimes, I struggle yielding to his authority. I struggle trusting him as much as I should. And sometimes I struggle being as passionate and filled with purpose as I ought to be. And so maybe you're like me sometimes, and maybe today, as a believer, you need to renew your commitment to the Lord. Renew your commitment to truly follow Him and embrace these truths and live a life of urgency and passion for Him. I know for me, one of the things that always snaps me back in my commitments is when I think about the Lord's Supper. One of the things that always brings me back to where God wants me, and to my, my commitment, and to my, my desire to be faithful is when I think about the Lord's Supper. Because today, if you're a believer, we're going to invite you to take the supper with us. In a few moments, we're gonna, the band's going to play, and you're going to have an opportunity to come and to grab the elements. There's, there's the, the little prepackaged cups, and, and as you take them back to your seat, and as you feel led, you can peel back the first layer and, and take the bread. And, and then as you feel led, you can take back the second layer and take the juice because the bread reminds us of the body that was beaten for us, Right? And the blood reminds us of what Abby talked about, the blood that was shed for us covering our sin, Jesus taking our place. And sometimes in my life when I'm struggling with my commitment, it's when I think about the Lord's Supper that kind of brings me back full circle. It brings me back to a place where I have gratitude in my heart for what Jesus has done for me. And listen, if he was willing to hang on a cross for me, shouldn't I be willing to live for him? Shouldn't that be your story too? Yeah. So if you're a believer, I don't care if you're a member of our church or not. If you're a believer in a moment, I want to invite you to take the supper with us. If you have a gluten allergy, we have the Lord's Supper tray in the back of the room on the table back there. You can go to the back and you can take it. But I just want you to know this, that before you take the supper in just a moment, the Bible requires two things of us. Number one, to remember. Remember what Christ has done. Remember the body that was beaten. Remember the blood that was shed. And second of all, to examine to examine our hearts. Well, Doug, what do I need to examine? Examine, are you yielded to his authority today? Examine, are you trusting him as much as you ought to trust him? Examine your level of passion and enthusiasm and urgency for living for Christ. And as you examine those things and maybe make a new commitment in those, then I invite you to come, grab the elements, go back to your seat, and as we worship and as you feel led, partake in the supper. All right? This morning, I'm asking everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every, every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just stand.